0: A uh, life house in uh, Hebrew is, you say it like this, Bet Chaim. Beit So welcome to Bet Chaim. That's the Hebrew word for life. House. an interesting word about the uh, word Chaim. It's, a, it's, it's in the plural. So it denotes that life is not meant to be done alone. That's the interesting thing about the word life. But thanks, Gary and Louise and the elders for this opportunity. I thought I was going to get out of it. When Gary first approached me, he said, would you be interested in sharing? I said, yeah, I would be interested, but I didn't really think anything of it. I thought maybe it will go away. Um, Because I don't like, you know, being in front of crowds I'm used to. Being tucked away somewhere on some farm, somewhere dealing with hardcore Eddington. That's, that's about the extent of, of the preaching. And then after the movie night, uh, Gary asked me, So you on next week Sunday? I don't know if that was a question or if that was a command. Aren't I? So I'm in it now. I couldn't say no, and it wasn't going to go away. And um, truth went on ahead and we told me, Yeah. So this morning, oh, so let me tell you the story about my message. Because Gary said to me, do you have something to share? I've got loads to share, lots. Always got a lot to share. And I was struggling with, during the week, with what, what am I going to share? I have got something in mind um, that I can put together um, what I was going to share. But then I had a conversation with a very special young man on Thursday. Um, his name is Jordan. He's right at the back there doing sound. And we were just chatting about life and things and uh, keeping things simple, you know. And he mentioned a very... And, and while I'm talking to him, I am thinking about what am I going to be sharing. And this has been plaguing my mind because I don't quite know. Uh, and Jordan says, a spoken, your spoken testimony... Is a powerful weapon. I'm like, dude. So after that, I stopped talking. I just listened to the guy. Because I knew this guy's got some a lot of things to say. And, and, and that sort of like bring a bit of relief. And I knew I had to share my testimony. This is what I should do. I knew it. But despite of knowing what I should be doing, I go home. I spend Friday morning putting together a technical preach. I promise you... It's got Hebrew, it's got scriptures, it's got... Because I know the bar is high when you come here. I know the bar, there's, there's a standard. You know, and you've got to know what you're doing and know what you're talking about. It's not just come and rabble or all whole lot of things. And uh, I put together this technical preach. I send it off to Gary. I send the power. my very primitive PowerPoint. It's not my strong suit, I must tell you that much. I send it off to Louise with no, with no attachments. That's, that's, uh, that's the extent of it. And we make a big joke of it, and that's funny and everything. And Gary's feedback to me is, just share your testimony and weave in. God, we're there back again. Weave in parts of your, of your share, uh, weave in parts of it into your testimony. And I thought, yes, I'm off the hook. Because that was a big relief to me um, when I realized that I can just share my heart and Share my testimony so, and I don't have to be technical and not for now, anyways. And this is, and we are. So, this morning, um, I'm going to attempt to share my testimony with you. It's very difficult to uh, share 12 years of hardcore drug addiction and depravity and all the everything that goes wrong with that and put that into condense it. It's very difficult. There's so, many, so much I wanted to say, so much, so many things. But what I've got here is what I've got, and that's what needs to be said, I believe. And that's about that. So I'm going to start very basically uh, with, with the beginning, because that's a good place to start, right? That's a good place. <laughs> so I grew up in a very um, militaristic home. Uh, I would say an average South African home a troubled home. My dad was a chronic alcoholic. He was a sergeant in the army, and that didn't stop when he was at home. He suffered from PTSD, and his only way to, to deal with that was to drink. So it was self-medicating. And when he drank, he was a terrible person. Violent, um, difficult to speak to, difficult to relate to, had a short temper. And not a very nice guy, but off the bottle, he was actually a, was, he was a, he was a very nice guy. But he struggled. He struggled with life. He couldn't deal with life on life terms, as we say it. And he turned to alcohol to medicate that. I can only say these things now in hindsight. Back in the day, you know, when you are young, you don't understand these things. You think he's a monster. And I sort of like learned to resent my father uh, growing up. And I remember thinking when I was young, I am not going to ever be like that. I'm never going to be like that. But ultimately, children don't do what you say, they do what you do. And when people said to me, you know, you're behaving just like like your dad, I would get angry with them. But it was true. He didn't know how to deal with life. He didn't know how to deal with the pressures of life. And the way he dealt with life is by drinking and by being violent and sorting things out with the first. That's the way I grew up. That's, that's how you sort things out. So I want to encourage the older men in this congregation. Guys, these youngsters are looking at you. man. They're watching everything. Don't underestimate what they are taking in and what they see. They need fathers. I just want to encourage you with that word. So at the age of 13, uh, I smoked my first cigarette. I remember stealing one of the cigarettes out of my mom's box. I don't know if you guys remember, ever smoked. remember Progress. Stole the cigarettes out of a box a box and went and sat in a corner on the top of the complex property we were in and lit this thing with a magnifying glass, you know, Smite had got as sick as a dog. Sick, sick, sick. Uh, I never confessed to what happened, but I'm sure my mom would smell that something was up. And it progressed from there. It helped me for that moment. In that, in that moment, I escaped from the realities of home. It just helped me. So, I got addicted to the feeling of escaping. That's really what it's about. If you want to understand addiction, the key to understanding all addiction is not why the addict, it's why the addiction. What happens to a person, why do they keep on returning to this same thing that's so damaging to them, destroys their health, destroys their relationships, and their End of those things are always jails, institutions, and death. But the key to understanding that is what it does for a person, is why you go back all the time, and obviously you don't always get that same uh, feeling of release, and so the drugs just get more and they get bigger and they get more frequent. By the time I was 16, I was a full-blown alcoholic. And smoking I don't know what we call it these days, weed? There's so many names for it, yeah, there's so much name. Is what they call it in Afrikaans. And I was also taking um, over-the-counter pain medication, codeine. So my day would consist of drinking, smoking, taking pain medication, and that was the, that was the repeat. And then anything in between, because I was a bit of a guinea pig, you know, I didn't mind taking a bit of a here. Eating mushrooms, yeah, taking acid there, doing all these things that came on to market. I was a guinea pig for that and I would do that. My life was out of control by the time I was seventeen. Needless to say, I couldn't stay in school long. Concentration span of zero. Um, I attempted college, technical college. I don't know how I made uh, college with flying colours, literally because we're flying, you know, you never sober. Never ever sober, Um, and I remember always feeling angry, always feeling angry. I was in a bad mood for at least 12 years, so long the addiction lasted, Um, could never really keep a conversation with anyone, couldn't talk to anyone properly, could never stay in one place at the same time, could never study something. That was the extent. These things I'm telling you guys are, are small snippets of a bigger picture, but I'm trying to cap, trying to capture everything into, into context. It uh, was about the age 17, I got kicked out of the house. My mom had passed away from cancer uh, in that same year, and that didn't help me deal with my addiction at all. In fact, by that time, I was so deep into addiction and I was involved in all sorts of dark uh, metal and all sorts of things. So my mom passed on, leaving me in my mess, and I never had the opportunity to fix that before she passed on. And I want to say to you today, please, make amends. Fix things now. In fact, when you leave this meeting this morning, go and fix things. If you've got things with people, you've got beef with people, you've got, make amends today. Fix those things. Because when that person passes on, it's too late to make amends. Then we have to do proxy counseling and all these kinds of things. Just save yourself those, uh, that uh, energy and that pain and go and fix things today. I kicked out the house, moved into my own place. in Joburg. I don't know if you guys uh, know Johannesburg Central very well. Um, Jubair Park, close to the train station. It was rough. It's rough now. I mean, you can't, I, I can't go and walk there now. I mean, th- even those days, it was rough. Um, and I got a job at a, as a porter at the NBS hospital. And uh, my favorite part of the job was to take dead bodies to the incinerator. And arms and legs, so that just shows you how dark I was. And then then I got involved with a, uh, one of my colleagues there was involved in a cult. And I got involved with a cult, deep cult. Um, I've had personal runnings with demons that I can't explain to you guys what that is. That's why I know that Jesus is real, man. That's why I know he's alive. I've seen the dark side. I've experienced that. I know who Jesus is. Um, When I was involved with a cult, I was very afraid. I was very, because these demonic entities, they control your life through fear. And if you don't do what they tell you to do, and if you don't do what the coven tells you to do, um, they will kill you. It was in the same year, Um, I rocked up at work very, very drunk the one day. And the matron of the hospital said to me, listen, you've got a choice. Either you go to rehab or you lose your job. And obviously I opted for rehab. But I wasn't really serious. You know, I thought, let me just get get them off my back. Let me go, at least I can... Still have a bit of a salary and carry on drugging and doing my thing. So it was around about just seventeen, seventeen, just 2018, I went to my first rehab, which was one of six, I went to, six tenths to rehab. Six tenths of rehab and three overdoses later. And um, I came back out of that first uh, uh, rehab and nothing had changed, you know. Maybe cut my hair a little and just didn't wear so much black. But nothing had really changed. It wasn't long. I couldn't stay clean for longer than three months at a time. Up into my 20s, I've been drugging, drugging, drugging. Could never keep a job could never stay in one place, continuously had problems with people, and it's everybody else's fault but my own. You know, I blame everybody for for what was happening to me. If I couldn't be at a place, I had an argument with someone and a fight with someone, guaranteed it was always some kind of physical or violent altercation that I had with people, and you're not accepted like that when you're like that. Very, very angry. And my last job that I had... I went, one of my friends organized me this job in Vereniging, and I'd gone to this job, obviously couldn't keep it down long, I was at a party in a hotel in Vereniging on a Friday night, I was supposed to go and work on Saturday, I didn't rock up to work, things progressed horribly after that, I never went back to work. As a result of that, I got kicked out of the place I was staying with, with this friend of mine who was willing to look after me. And I went into very deep, dark depression. I stayed in that hotel room for about four days. The only, and I started selling off my stuff. So by the time that I'd come around, I had sold everything I had. Everything. I think I had maybe a half a black bag of few old clothes that was left. And I had a phone. Now, this is the interesting thing about this phone. I don't know if you guys remember the Nokia 3310. Right? Awesome phone. I wish I could still have one of those phones today. No interference with social media and people will just leave you alone. You know, back in the 90s, things were nice. So there's, there's Nokia 90, uh, what's it, 93, Was it? 3310, that's it. Stuck on a 9. 3310. I couldn't pawn this thing. The only pawn shop that was willing to, in, in the area that I was staying in, that was willing to take this thing, wouldn't take it because the charger was busted and you had to jimmy the charger to make the phone charge. They refused to take this, they refused to take this charger. And just before I went to Fyenachen, can I backtrack a little bit? Is that okay? Sorry, I need to backtrack a little bit. Just before I went to Fyenachen, I went to a mate of mine, and we would smoke weed together. You know, this is the thing. I went to his house, we'd smoke weed together. And the one night I went to his house, and there's my wife sitting in the lounge of this family doing homestyle with him. And I'm there to, you know, to school and she's doing a home sale. Well, I might as well sit and, you know, you don't want to, you. So I sat. After the home sale, the couple at that time was w- were trying to match us. You know? But who's going to fall for a washed out drug addict? And that's how I met her. And they gave her my number, and she had a WhatsApp ministry, not a WhatsApp ministry, an SMS ministry. And she would send bulk SMSs to people, ministering to them, back to the hotel. In that day, I was sitting on, on that hotel bed. I couldn't, the last, like I said, I, the last thing I could not get rid of was this phone. And I was contemplating suicide. And a message comes through on this phone. And it's from her. And up to this day, I can't tell you exactly what the message was. But it was somewhere along the lines of, don't give up. God's on your side. It was somewhere along those lines. Right there and then. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been a Christian before, so I'd know... I know when the Lord's talking to me. Even though I don't always listen. And right then and then I knew this is, this is something bigger than myself. And I phoned her from my payphone, and I said to her, I'm in dire straits, I need help. Now, my wife can't drive at night. She doesn't see well at night and she's got no sense of direction. <laughs> and that's during the day, never mind at night. She took her son who was uh, 10 years old at the time, put him in a Uno, she wrote a little Uno fire, green one, drove all the way to Ferenachan at night and found me without getting lost. Picked me up, put him in a car. Um, she said to me, are oh, you done? I said, I'm done. I'm putting down everything. She took me to her, her uh, townhouse in, in Boxburg, and my son uh, gave up his bedroom so that I could live in his bedroom and took me into a house. A stranger. She'd seen me before and spoken to me before, but it wasn't really... Um, and that week I spent there with her, I detoxed you know, there's no more rehab. There's no more chances to go to rehab. And that was a turning point. Uh, In my life, I went to, I started going back to meetings again, started attending NA meetings again, which I still do today. And the one night, uh, and she used to, uh, Chantal used to go with me. And the one night we were going to a meeting together, and I said to her, Well, you know, um, I know what I want. And, uh, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And I thought, great, this is, you know. And one day, we might be privileged to hear her side of the story because it's a really awesome story. I saved her out of a very bad relationship, an abusive relationship that she was in. And she saved me out of my drug hole that I was in. So, in 2006, December 2006, we got married. We joined a church uh, in Alberton and started doing full-time ministry. Just engaged the church and started serving. There's something about fear that I want to talk to you about. Now that I'm clean, you know, when you're sober, you have to deal with things that you've numbed before there are three fears that plagued me and that's the fear of abandonment, the fear of rejection and the fear to open my my myself again to love. And those three fears caused me to be a people pleaser. And I did crazy things and worked all sorts of hours for the church and did crazy things and put my family second and put the work always first. And it almost... I almost destroyed that marriage and that family. It took my wife and my son about six years to recover from the damage that I caused from that. In the first year that we were married, I went to a men's camp. It was called Encounter Weekend. And the last day of the camp was a Sunday And the speaker who was uh, teaching spoke about honoring your parents. And uh, right there, I realized that I need to fix things with my dad. Things are completely broken. And I took that message and I took my son, who is now 25. He was, he was 11 at the time. And I said, let's go and go see you, Opa. And I took him. And my dad was sober that day, which, is, which is, was, was a miracle within itself. There were very few times in my dad's life that he was sober, and those were one of those days. And I sat him down, and I said to him, Dad, I just want to tell you, I've been on this men's camp. I don't know what's happened to me. But I'm here, and I want to say thank you for your hard work, for your love, for helping us, for putting us through school, for always being there for us. And that was the complete opposite of who he was. The complete opposite. My dad broke down in tears. I broke down in tears. That day, um, by me honoring my parents, the Lord just released such a restoration between my dad and I. And my son got to see that. It was a defining moment for me in my life. So I want to encourage you young people or whoever, not just young people, if your folks are still alive, if you have people in your life who are looking after you, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, honor them. You know, the word says, honor your mother and your father. They may go good with you, go well with you, it's not honor them because um, they're good to you. No, it's despite of, it's just, it's despite of how our parents act and what they've done, that we honor them. So I want to encourage you today to to honor your 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 folks. Um, in two thousand and Eleven I got an opportunity to join full-time uh, addiction recovery ministry at a place called Freedom Recovery Center and I was offered to uh, be the program manager at the Freedom Recovery Center and I did that for about I did addiction recovery ministry for about 12 years working in the field uh, with hardcore addicts and giving back uh, that was hard um, eight of those 12 years, I was away from home, and it was hard on my family. Up until last, up until this year, February, um, I'd been in the industry, and uh, up until February, I've just, I'm just new, I've started my own business, and I'm at home looking after my family, and the Lord's ministering to me about family. And that's really my story. There are these small things that I've shared with you along the way, that I've learned along the way. But the other, there's a very important thing I'd like to share with you in closing my message. This is a very short message that you can tell. I'm just almost glad it's over. (laughs) But if there's any sort of advice or something I can share with you guys is uh, stick to the basics. Keep things simple. And do the basics right. Don't get too technical. The Lord reminded me again with writing this long message with all these technical things and I've got Hebrew, I've got everything sorted. It's not about that. I don't think it would have gone well in that preach really. Because I, I digress. So to keep everything on those points would have, would have been a mess. Keep things basic. So what do the basics look like? They look like this. For me personally, it should, they look like this. Spend a lot of time with God. Spend time with him. The time that you think that you don't have is the time that you should be spending. Make time. I believe that we've been blessed with uh, the gift of time so that we can be stewards of it. So that we can take the time and steward it in such a way that we make the time to spend with Him. That's how you become a good steward of time, is by spending it with the Lord. The second one is, surround yourself with people who hear His word, who hear His voice. In other words, I'm talking about accountability. Surround yourself with people who who hear his voice uh, number three is get involved in your local community church don't just be a spectator do something be of service even if it's the smallest of things but do something don't just come every Sunday and hear some and hear the message get involved and do something and give back and the last one is Reach out to others and keep on telling your story. Keep on sharing your testimony. The more I share my testimony, the more healing it brings to me. The best gift that you can give anyone, or the best thing that you can do for anyone, is that you take, on a daily basis, that you take personal responsibility for your relationship with the Lord. That's the best thing you can do for anyone. And in closing, I want to say this a spoken testimony is a powerful weapon. And that's all I really have to share with you guys this morning. And that's me. Thank you for letting me share.